I'll never forget the first weekend I got back from treatment, I had a birthday dinner and I pretended to take shots because I didn't know how to tell people that I was sober. And it was like that for almost the first year, not the shots thing, but there were other moments like that where I just pretended because I didn't know how to speak about it. And I realized eventually that I was just kind of hanging around the wrong people, but that takes time. <laughs> You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am thrilled to be joined today with Recovered Life Coach Camille Gehring. How you doing, Camille? I'm great. How are you, Damon? I am doing great. I'm so excited to have you here. You know, I first discovered you on TikTok, actually, and you were talking about sobriety, and then we started talking, and I'm so glad to have you on the show because we always talk about things that are relevant, you know, to people that are trying to get sober, people that are sober, people living in long-term sobriety. And right around now, you know, 2023 comes along, Camille, and everybody's talking about how they're going to do this and how they're going to do that in 2023. But really, it's all about really making your recovery a priority so you can do everything else. So I wanted to have you on today because I know as a sober coach, you deal with this a lot. You also have a very busy life and you've got a lot of stuff <laughs> going on. So we're going to pick your brain about how you do it. But first, you know, it's tough, right? Like when you first get sober, you got a ton of stuff going on. You're trying to rebuild your life. You're doing stuff. And as you get sober, carving out a plan can sometimes be a challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely, Damon. Especially, I feel like, you know, nowadays almost it, it's like there's so many factors conspiring to keep us entrenched in, in like this attitude of consumption. Um, and I think that makes it so hard to to recover to begin with, right? Especially around the holidays. It's like we encourage so much eating and drinking and consuming gifts and all these different things that like that can really interfere with the process of getting sober or maintaining recovery. And yet so many people seem to do it this time of year, which is so interesting. Um, I definitely notice like an influx of clients at this time of the year. One of the challenges that I find is that's very, very tough for people is in, in recovery, setting realistic goals, right? Like, so a lot of the times what will happen is we set these goals and we're so unrealistic about what we can do and what other people can do. Right. And I know I am, this is something with, you know, decades of sobriety. I still struggle with, like, I'm so unrealistic sometimes about what I actually can achieve. So isn't a lot of this just setting realistic goals? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's I'm laughing so hard because this is, you know, five, like a couple years into my recovery. This is the issue that really started to come out was like this perfectionism, this relentless. This, it's an addiction to recovery. Um, and I, I see a lot of people get sort of enmeshed in that, especially around the New Year's. Um, I was actually joking about this recently, but it's true. I, my New Year's resolution list was like 40 items long. And I had to be honest with myself about that. Like, it's not going to happen. And I shouldn't, when you put those kinds of expectations on yourself, it's, it's, I mean, you will, you will fall back, but even worse when you do, like, you'll take it as evidence that you can't do anything else on that list. Right. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Well, you start to realize, you know, I know for me is I start to realize like, oh, wow, you know, like I'm really not going to be able to achieve all these things. And so 
well, I'll just postpone them or it becomes too overwhelming. I think, you know, this cutting things down into bite-sized chunks and really being present where you're at is the key, right? Like, cause if your to-do list is so big, you can't really be present. You're so worried about the next thing, the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the big lessons of recovery, right? Like, because to me, I mean, mindfulness is such an integral component of recovery, like habits thrive in secrecy and addiction um, is a very secretive discipline. Right. And it's so like because it's it relies on subconscious beliefs and unconscious behaviors like that's what addiction is. It's like despite our conscious beliefs and our conscious desires, we do unconscious things, right? And so recovery is like shedding light on that unconscious part. And that requires a lot of extra time and space to do that. And that's why I always tell people, you have to clear out your schedule. That's like one of the main prerequisites of recovery for me. You can't have something going on at every moment. What do you tell people about structuring in their own personal recovery to their calendar you know, I think one of the one of the tough things is life skills, especially in early recovery, is that maybe you've been going to the same meeting on a 12-step group or you've been doing something for your recovery. Maybe it's even seen a therapist or going to a coach or whatever. And now your life gets bigger in recovery, which is great, right? And that's what happens. You start to get a life in recovery and things get bigger. And then I find it's like recovery kind of fades into the background, right, Camille? Like, it like Absolutely. it fades in the background and then you're trying to catch up, try to do it. What's your tip on really kind of weaving that into your life? Because we know if you relapse and you're not sober, you're not going to be able to have that big life that you don't have time for sobriety for. Right. And that's like the biggest mistake people make is chasing the other things before the recovery. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, as somebody who has made that mistake and has seen plenty of people do it, I can definitely share my own best practices. Um, I So there's a couple things that I, I tell my, my, my clients, um, one of them being that you have to start with a schedule. Um, instead of trying, instead of using your existing schedule and trying to squeeze things into it, you have to start from scratch and create a schedule with timed blocks. And ultimately, you won't have to stick to those strict blocks, but it's important to have like a visual. And then the second thing that I really stress to people um, is the earlier you do something in the day, the more likely it is that you'll do it again. Um, and as your day progresses, it gets ahead of you. It gets away from you, right? You encounter more people, you come across more new information and you have to switch course and you don't have a choice in what goes on. But early in the day, that first hour or two, you have to treat those like it's sacred and you cannot sacrifice it for anything. Like even if it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's whatever, like it doesn't matter. You have a morning routine. It can be 20 minutes long and deal with your recovery. And you stick to that every single day. Like that's the magic sauce. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. Like making something a constant in your life. We tapped on this a little bit, Camille, but I want to really talk about this because perfection, perfectionism especially, is kind of the killer of being able to set priorities. I found like, I'm somebody who likes to do things right. It has to be perfect every time. And what I found through recovery is the beauty and really sometimes the most brilliant things come from just the pursuit of it. It's not necessarily it being perfect. The, the perfection is it not being perfect, right? But can we talk about that and maybe some of the strategies you use to fight that 
everything's got to be perfect because even if you are sober, you're going to have a miserable life, right? If everything has to be perfect all the time. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm almost like, I'm, I'm a little emotional right now because, uh, just that issue is so much of what I've wrestled with in recovery. And it almost feels like the last bastion for me. I've kicked smoking. I've kicked my eating disorder. I've kicked drinking and drugs and all these, this spending and, but then, you know, at the very end of the day, it's like me and my perfectionism staring at each other. Um, and so as far as like tips go, I, the one thing that has really impacted me so much is focusing on the process rather than the goal. So I'm, I want to write a book. I'm not going to think about the book. I'm going to think about writing two good pages every day. And within six months, I have a book like, you know, and I haven't even thought about the book as much as I have just like every day, I'm going to get these two pages and I'm going to do them as best as I can. And that's all that I can do. Um, I love that. I love that. You know, one of the things that yeah. I find really that that's been a huge breakthrough for me, Camille, is that, you know, is this perfectionism thing. It totally haunts me, too, because what happens is as I start to do it, I realize, oh, it's not going to turn out the way that I wanted it to or imagined. And I feel like I'm closing off the ability to make it something bigger than what is in my scope. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love that tip that you said about, you know, Hey, I'm going to do two pages in my book. I'm going to write, sit, I'm going to concentrate and I'm going to do the two, the two pages in the book because I found that just actually completing the goal is sometimes more important than what was in the goal a lot of the times, right? Just the fact that I stuck to it and I stayed on task and I was able to do it. Um, I, I know even with recovery too, it's like sometimes, you know, I know I have gone to 12 step meetings or I've gone to stuff and it's kind of become old hat. It's just kind of become boring, right? It's the yeah. same people. It's the same thing. And this whole idea of reinventing myself in recovery is something that I had to be really comfortable with because it really is a, right. I mean, wouldn't you say it really is a whole process of constantly reinventing who you think you are and what you can do. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually, so I thought of something while you were saying that, that is really applicable. I think a tip for all my overwhelmed uh, perfectionists and everyone else out there. Um, my client taught me this, which I thought was awesome. No coaching experience, nothing. She just had this idea. Um, and she said, she basically, she, she, she has focused on five or six things that broad categories of her life that really matter to her. Um, and so just to give an example, you know, uh, inward reflection, recovery, um, exercise or movement. Right. And so she has these five or six key areas. And then every day she just has to do something within each area. Um, and so she has two to-do lists, right? There's this one where it's like the non, you know, the, the different areas and she has some wiggle room as to what she decides to do. And then the other to-do list, which is like her non-negotiables things she has to do. Um, and I've found that breaking up my priorities into those two categories has made it a lot easier and gentler for me because I don't have to force myself to do a meditation at eight and at 10 and at whatever. I just have to do one or two things in this category that count as like inner reflection. And I've done my piece for the day. And I think that works really well for recovery as well. Oh, I love this. I love this. You know what, Camille, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, guys, Camille is going to break down how she did it in early recovery, how she made recovery a priority, how it really changed her life. And we're going to get some, you know, tips and tactics uh, that you can apply in your life. And, you know, 
I think it's going to be well worth the wait. So hold tight. Right after this quick break, Camille's going to share all those insights. Are you tired of feeling controlled by disordered eating patterns? Now is the time to take action and break free from these harmful habits. Haven Joe Beck, a disordered eating coach, is here to help. Join Haven's weekly group coaching and peer support sessions every Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Share your experiences, learn from others, and gain the tools and strategies you need to overcome your disordered eating patterns. Don't wait any longer to take the first steps towards a happier, healthier life. Sign up now by visiting recoveredlife.us and clicking on Find My Group. Don't let disordered eating patterns control your life any longer. Join us now and start your journey to recovery. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Okay, we're back with Camille Gehring, Sober Coach. We're talking about life in recovery. We're talking about how to make recovery a priority in the new year. Listen, guys, this is a this is a big thing because we don't want people to fade away, right, Camille? I mean, that's what that's when relapse happens. That's when people get lost and really not productive at all. So I promised it. We we're going to talk about it. early recovery. How did you rebuild your life? How did you start doing this? Because you have a really big life. I know you personally. You have a big life, Camille, and you've got a lot of stuff going on. But you put recovery first. How did you do it? What was the starting point? And how did you assemble this life that you have? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I personally, I think there are a couple of magic ingredients uh, for recovery, and I didn't realize that until later. Um, for me, it all began with forgiveness. It was a moment. I don't know how it happened. I don't know why I was holding a really difficult grudge for a long time and I let go of it. And in the absence of that grudge, I had no one left to be angry with but myself. And that was a big realization um, that something was very wrong. I also, um, I had a cat and I had students that I was teaching and I realized that there were all these vulnerable beings that relied on me and I wasn't present. I wasn't there, I wasn't supportive. Um, you know, and then the last thing, the real final straw was my body fell apart. I was 23 years old. I had seizures. I had chronic acute pancreatitis. I had DTs, um, like actual DTs and, you know, things were really bad physiologically. So I couldn't really ignore it so much anymore. I also, I went to treatment with no intention of getting sober and, um, you know, I think a couple things happened. I mentioned those magic ingredients. Uh, I, maybe I can list a few, but one of them being, you know, I got a really, I had a really sobering moment, pun intended, when I got confronted in treatment. And for the first time, I think in my life, I was able to see clearly just how far I had gone. Um, and that was a big one for me as well. I love that. I love that. You know what? I think, I think one of the challenges with the subject, Camille, is that a lot of people, and I know I felt like this, I said, you know, especially when I first got into recovery, I had a lot of financial things going on. I had housing issues, I had all these issues. And I was like, I, I got to work 15 hours a day. I can't like, there's no way I can go to a meeting a day. There's no way I can go to a meeting every other day. I just don't have time for it. And what I learned through really other people was that um, really, if I put my recovery first, I was going to be able to do all these other things, right? And I had to say 
no to family and friends. I had to be able to say like, you know what? Like, Hey, I know I'm coming to visit, but I'm going to go to a meeting because I've been here three days and I need to, you know, I need to go to a meeting out of town or whatever, wherever that might be. And that caused a lot of discomfort. Like I didn't want to be that guy who said that, but I had to, right? Yeah. How did you deal with that? Like, you know, cause you have family, you have friends, you have people around you. how did you deal with the social pressure of the people, maybe not really knowing the ins and outs of recovery, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I would say, so, you know, I, I talked a little bit about that magic, those magic ingredients. And like one of them was, I've, I've seen this in a lot, everyone that I've treated, you know, worked with, but like the person you have to believe unequivocally that whatever's on the other side of recovery has to be better than where, where you currently are. Right. So when in addiction, the moment you decide to get well is the moment you decide anything, anything, anything is better than this, even if recovery is just white knuckling for the next 40 years like that has to be better. And so I took that mentality into recovery with me. Um, I think keeping the past front and center is so important, even though it's painful, like finding a way to talk about some of these things. The other thing is just trial and error. I mean, I, I tried, I'll never forget the first weekend I got back from treatment, I had a birthday dinner and I pretended to take shots because I didn't know how to tell people that I was sober. And it was like that for almost the first year, not the shots thing, but there were other moments like that where I just pretended because I didn't know how to speak about it. And I realized eventually that I was just kind of hanging around the wrong people, but that takes time. <laughs> you know, that's tough. I mean, the fact that you went through all of that, right? You're pretending to take shots, you're pretending to do it, <laughs> but yet also committed to being sober, right? Like it's an evolution. I mean, you know, especially with friends, it's like, I know a lot of people just peel off when, when you get to right. a lot of people just can't, you know, I knew in my life, I was around other people that drank heavily. So they just didn't, you know, they weren't that interested in hanging around somebody who was a recovered alcoholic. Right. And then other times people just didn't care because it wasn't about the drinking for them. They were, had a normal relationship with alcohol, but, uh, what, you know, but still socially, you know, it was, it was tough. I wanted to build relationships and build friends. Right. But then I had this whole other recovery thing going on at the same time. Let me ask you this question, because I think a lot of people find this is finding friends in recovery, right? Like yeah. being able to find a group of people. How did you go about doing that? <laughs> well, thanks for that question, Damon. I think we talked about this a little bit. It was very, it was very hard for me. I've always, um, you know, before I was an addict, I was a, I was a kid with severe OCD and trauma and like, you know, I wasn't particularly primed. Okay. So I didn't build those skills at all. So I had to relearn all of that. And I made some very, successful strategies that I've used is I go to a lot of recovery groups and meetings. I try out all the different programs. I go like, you know, I'll just go wherever. Um, one thing that really stuck with me from AA was take what you like and leave the rest. And I've applied that to everything. And then I started branching out to like other recovery affiliated things. Um, a lot of people in Florida, at least frequent like drum circles and like there are kava bars and people who do flow arts and like all those people are loosely connected to recovery. So you're more likely to meet people in recovery at like wellness events or like 
you know, if a hippie would go there, someone in recovery probably would. So that's what I think. And then I forced myself to do one or two of these events like a week to find new people and to hang out with friends and whatnot. Do you find it easier because people in recovery also know that they have to put their recovery first? Do, do you find it, do you find it easier now that you're in recovery to have friends that are in recovery or do you mix it up and have a lot of friends that aren't in recovery as well? Well, so full transparency. I mean, all the relationships I've been in have been other people in recovery, which I don't know. I would know. I'm not sure if I would recommend that, but it's been the case. Um, and most of my friends are also in recovery. Only further along in my sobriety did I manage to start making friends outside of that just because it felt a little safer. But I think especially if you're young, I was 23 when I got sober, it can be really challenging to spend time with other people your age because they're all drinking and it's normal. And it can be challenging to be in these recovery circles where it feels like a lot of people are older. Um, I would say like one thing that really changed the name of the game for me was releasing some of my preconceived notions about people and my boundaries. I mean, my best friend is a 75 year old man um, who I never see because he lives in New York. But, you know, as somebody I met in recovery who has turned out to be a really supporting figure in my life. So I think like yeah. just kind of, opening up your mind in that way. That is really great. That's really great. So you branched out to be able to do it. Having those people in recovery uh, as a support group, I think is, is just a huge benefit. Final thoughts here, Camille, with anybody who's listening to this and is just struggling, you know, maybe they've relapsed, they've put work first or they put a relationship first or they put something else before their sobriety. What would you tell them? What would be your advice to them? Oh, man. Well, the first thing I tell my clients and anybody that I work with is not a single person in the history of history has ever changed or healed because of bullying. Um, and that includes you. So <laughs> you can't bully yourself into being the person that you want to be. That's just not possible. Um, it's it's a paradox, but like the prerequisite for change is acceptance. Um, and really, you know, the other thing is perspective. I look around in the world and I see people drinking like I used to drink and they clearly don't think they have a problem. So it's all about perspective. It's all about what you want for your life. Like you focus on what you want and you focus on what you've done well. Don't focus on what you don't have and what you've done wrong, because that just sends us deeper into those coping mechanisms. And the coping mechanism is an addiction, right? So the other thing I would say, that, uh, you know, is really important is covering all your bases. So enough sleep, enough water, enough food, like those are so important. And then replacing the reward. So our substance of choice, our behavior of choice, it makes us feel a certain way. You want to try to replicate that in a way that is healthy in your life. Um, you know, I, for smoking, I did a specific breathing exercise. I used like the Wim Hof method. Um, every time I craved a cigarette and it worked like because you want something that feels good to replace that habit. You can't just put yourself into a state of deprivation without replacing it with something. Um, I love that. I love yeah. that. You know what? These are really helpful things because, you know, I think it's hard to it's hard to see the forest from the trees. But when you look back, obviously, and you probably agree with this, when you look back, you're like, wow, I didn't put my recovery first there and this fell apart. And it was a lot of pain to be able to try to get this back. Right. And I didn't yep. put it here and it didn't work out. And then you look back on times where you put it first and it seems like everything ended up working out the way it should have worked out. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I totally relate to what you're saying. I definitely have had that experience many times in recovery. Um, my old sponsor used to say, you've got one hand in the boat and the rest of your body in the water, but guess what? That's enough to get across the lake. And that's absolutely. what happened. Absolutely. Yeah. That is. Camille Garing, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I'm going to put links to how you can reach Camille on Recovered Life, everything about her. Definitely reach out. She will set up a free call uh, with you. Uh, uh, just at a click of a button here. So I will go ahead and list it on recovered uh, on the show notes here. Camille, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and coming on the show. Thank you, Damon. Thank you, everybody. Best of luck. Peace and recovery. Bye. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life. Recovered Life is a peer support network with direct access to top recovery coaches, content, community, and quality peer support meetings that can be accessed virtually. Whether you're pursuing a 12-step program, not involved in 12 steps, spiritual, agnostic, atheist, or just trying to figure it out, you're welcome here. Sign up today and access unlimited group meetings for only $19.99 a month. And because we know you'll love it, we're offering you your first 30 days for free. Don't wait. Visit recoveredlife.us and become a member today.